Merry Christmas again to you all. Being that it's Christmas, we'll, we're doing our best to have a, a shortened and abbreviated service of some uh, so that you can go and celebrate this day with your families, having celebrated it today with God's people. Uh, this is a great Sunday for us for many, many reasons. For one, it's Christmas morning. And so today we get to together celebrate the birth of Jesus, our great Lord and Savior who came for us. That is a joy for us to do. We also get to celebrate this day that our kids are with us. Now, they will be noisy and they will be distracting a bit, but you can um, bear with that and and know that they won't be a distraction to me. Um, You can rejoice because our vision as you see them, as you hold them, as they sit next to you is let this be one Sunday of many in their lives where they sit with God's people under God's word. Imagine the thought that the son or daughter that you are holding will one day be your brother or sister in the Lord, that they will train up for many years hearing God's word, worshiping with God's people, believing the Lord and loving Jesus like you do, and that this faith would one day become their own. As we celebrate that, today I get to announce to you also that one of our own, uh, Jim and Lena, gave birth this week, so we get to rejoice in that They received a Christmas gift in being able to bring their baby home. So God's been very kind to us. So we can celebrate that. We can also celebrate, by the way, if your kids become particularly unruly, if you're a total failure as a parent, uh, you can bring your children to the back. I'm totally kidding. All of us will look at you funny as you bring your children to the back. Um, But we we even have tried. Did it work? We have a, a video feed upstairs so that if you go to the big room upstairs, you can go there with your child and watch the sermon from there if you're one of those parents, which are going to be all of us, right? Um, we have that to celebrate. On top of that, look around. It's our first Sunday in this new space. What a joy. What a joy. What a blessing from the Lord. God has been incredibly kind to this church plant. I mean, we are two years old, and we have a brand new space, and our hope and prayer is that the gospel might be preached and proclaimed and sung and repented of and believed here for generations to come, and the Lord has been incredibly kind. As we're considering the finished work of this space, we also get to rejoice that we're finishing the book of Exodus today. We began that 10 months ago in the month of March, and today we're bringing that to a close. In the final chapters of Exodus, we're going to see them finish the building of a sanctuary for God, the tabernacle, so that fits in perfectly. Everything is good and joyful and perfect. And if all of that were not enough, my sermon today will be shorter than normal, so that's my Christmas gift to you. It is a very, very good Sunday. We'll pray for a moment. I'm going to give you a chance to turn to Exodus 34. You've got a Bible right in front of you in the seat in front of you. If you're new here, welcome to you. It's a joy for us to worship the Lord with you. If you don't have a Bible, take that. It's a gift from us to you. You can turn to Exodus 34. We know that Jesus, whom we celebrate, and his birth is in the New Testament, which is in the second half of your Bibles. We, however, are way back in the beginning in the book of Exodus. But today, I hope you see why this is a perfect text for us to consider on Christmas. We'll pray for a moment. I'll give God thanks for Jim and Lena and their child. At the same time, I also want to point one thing to you that we'll pray for as well. Chad and Jesse, I'm going to invite Chad to stand for one second so that you know who he is. That's Chad. Uh, Chad and Jesse got married just a few weeks ago, uh, months ago, um, 
Chad is uh, going to go overseas to Afghanistan as a part of our military. And so this is one of the last Sundays they'll have together before he's deployed out. So we want to give God thanks for Chad. Um, and we do. We publicly recognize you and thank you. And at the same time, we want to pray for him as a family. This is one of our brothers that we are having the privilege of sending. So we'll pray for him as well. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us as we turn to his word as well. Father, we give you thanks. In a few weeks, we will celebrate this space that you have given to us. We thank you for all the joy that is in our hearts this day, all your many blessings as we ponder them and consider them, how good you are and kind to us. You have blessed us far more than we have ever deserved, and we give you thanks. We praise you today and give you thanks for Jim and Lena and giving them Daniel. We thank you for the gift that he is as they stare at their new son Let Christmas become even more meaningful for them this day. Lord, we as a community remember our brother Chad, and we give you thanks for his life. We thank you for his dedication to this nation that we enjoy and live in and enjoy the gospel in. We pray that you would be with our dear brother and his wife, that you'd be with them as they get ready for him to go overseas. God, every single one of us asks you together to protect him, to watch over him, to be with him as he goes, and to have him come back safely. We thank you for his service, and we pray for the many men and women like him who are serving and that we enjoy what we enjoy because they do what they do. Bless Jesse. We pray that you'd be with her heart and give it strength and courage to trust in God in this season. Thank you now for this time in your word. Pray that you would orient our hearts to hear what you have to say this morning. We pray that from this pulpit, your word would go out for years to come, and that from these seats, your word would be heard, received, sin would be repented of, and the gospel would be believed for years to come. Let that begin even this Sunday, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we began this study back in March, and week after week, month after month, we've been watching this story sort of unfold, and today we come to the end. Today we get to watch and see how the book of Exodus closes and how all the loose ends are sort of tied up and how the story is brought to a close. If you're just jumping in with us or uh, if you're just catching up with us recently, let me just quickly refresh you on where we were at even last week. When we looked at this book last week, we saw that the people of God had rebelled against God. God had set the people free, brought them out of the land of slavery, brought them into the new land, made a covenant with them. Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days. They can't take the delay, and so they rebel against God, break their vows and their covenant that they made with God, and they worship an idol. They make a false god, a calf, and they bow down and worship this calf. God, in response to their treason, in response to their betrayal, in response to the breaking of the vows, the breaking of the covenant between them, tells them that I'm going to wipe this people out. We saw Moses plead for the people. God relents from bringing disaster upon them. And then God says, fine, I'm not wiping you out. I'll let you go into the land, just like I promised, the land flowing with milk and honey. I'll let you go in. I'll wipe out your enemies. There'll be health, wealth, success, comfort, ease, prosperity for you. The only thing is, I am not coming. We said last week the people heard that, and they heard it as a disastrous word. They repented, and they mourned at the thought that they could have everything without God they knew was nothing. And so they were heartbroken at the prospect 
And yet we saw that God had said he's not coming. Moses pleads with God, you have to come. We saw Moses even go off to the side and build this mini-me tabernacle, right? Just for him and the Lord to meet with while all the people stood at a distance and watched. Because the real tabernacle that we had spent all these weeks talking about was no longer needed. God was not coming. And so now Moses is off on the side and he intercedes again for the people. And he says, Lord, you have to come and come not just for me, for me to meet with you in a small tent. You have to come for everyone. You have to come. And last week we said that's the cry of the Advent season. The reason the church and Christians celebrate Advent is because there's this longing in the heart that says, come, Lord, come. Come the way that Israel longed for Messiah to come, so we long for Messiah to come again. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And when we ended chapter 33, listen, there was this unresolved tension in the text. Because as it stood, God was not coming. Moses pleaded for God to come, and you didn't know how things were going to end. How is everything going to work out? How is the story going to go from here? How do all the loose ends get tied, and how does Exodus finish? And the the tension doesn't get resolved till this week. And this week we're covering chapters 34 to 40. We've got a lot of ground to cover, six chapters. But again, don't panic. This will be a short sermon. Let's start at 34. Let me read you a few verses of Exodus 34. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai and the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. All right, let me just say this. If you've been reading the book of Exodus with us, if you've been listening along to us, this scene sounds very familiar. Here Moses is. He's called to go back to the top of the mountain. We've seen that before. God tells him, I'm going to come down and meet with you. We've seen that before. God tells him, don't let any of the people come to the mountain. Don't let anyone touch the mountain. We've seen that before. God then speaks to him the words of the covenant. We've seen that before. In fact, God writes on tablets of stone his word, his covenant. In 34, as you keep going down, if you look at verse 14, you'll see that God again says, Worship no other God before me. We've heard that. In verse 17, it'll say, Do not make idols. We've heard that. In fact, in verse 28 and 29, you don't have to look there now, but you're even given this detail that Moses spends 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain. We've seen that before. There are all these details that you've seen before so that what you're supposed to see is, we've seen this. God did this once. And when God did this was back in chapter 19 when he was making the covenant with the people. And now what you have in Exodus 34 is the covenant is being given all over again. Hear that. Moses had broken the tablets of stone because it was a picture of how the people had broken their vows with God. The whole thing was ruined. It was rubble. It was broken. And now God is renewing this covenant. He's calling Moses back up to do the whole thing over again. What you have in Exodus 34 is like a husband taking an adulterous wife who had cheated on him, bringing her back to the altar and repeating vows to one another. Do you get that? 
That's what you're seeing in Exodus 34. God is taking Israel that has betrayed him, cheated on him, worshipped other idols rather than him, bringing them back and renewing their vows again. So you have to think, why would God do this? Why would God take this people back, this adulterous and idolatrous people? Why would he renew his covenant with them? You find out in verses 5 through 7. Look at 34 verses 5 through 7. The Lord is going to come to Moses and say, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you why I'm the kind of God that takes messed up people back. 5 through 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now listen to me. There are pastors who could preach whole sermons on just these two verses. There's much to say in what God reveals of himself. We've got six chapters to cover, so I won't spend our time here. But here's what I want you to hear. God comes and again reveals himself to Moses. He had already shown who he was back in Exodus 3 when he told him, I am who I am. This is my name, Yahweh. I am who I am. And now he begins to further show him, let me tell you exactly who I am. I am the Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving transgression, iniquity, and sin. He reveals himself to be a God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving transgression, iniquity, and sin. Listen, they have completely messed up. They ruined everything. God had just finished saying, I'm not coming. You don't have to build the tabernacle. The whole thing is off. And yet now God not only takes them back and renews the covenant, he reveals who he is and why he would do that. It's because he's a gracious and merciful God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Israel would have heard that and imagined the comfort it would have brought to their hearts. They had messed everything up. They had ruined everything. They had made a mess of their lives and this relationship with God, and God was going to take them back. What a comfort that would have been. But I want you to hear, it's a comfort for you. It's a comfort for you today. It's a comfort for me. In one week, we're going to come to the end of a year. Hear me. At the end of a year, you have an opportunity to reflect on this past year. And as you do, undoubtedly, all of us are going to come to certain things where we go, I wish I would have done this differently. There's going to be regret that comes for all of us as you think about, was I the man, the woman, the husband, the father, the wife, the mother that I was supposed to be this year? Who of us is not going to reflect at the end of this year and go, there's so much I messed up and would have done differently? One pastor said at the end of the year, what he does always is he thinks of the end of the year like the end of his life. Like after December, he's going to be dead and have to face Jesus. And if the end of this year was the end of your life, how would you fare if you had to go and face Jesus? Immediately in our hearts are a million things we would think, I wish I had done this differently and I wish I had done this better. We are a messed up and broken people who often make a mess of our lives. Maybe this year was a good one or a bad one, but for all of us, we'd have pockets of our life that we'd go, this was a mess. 
Well, there's good news for us. Your God is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving transgression and iniquity and sin. That's good news. Your God is merciful. That means he he doesn't give you what you deserve. Death and wrath and sin and hell. He's gracious. He gives you what you don't deserve. Forgiveness and mercy and a new start and a clean slate and hope and the hope of heaven. He's slow to anger. Listen to this. Your children who understand will love this. In the original language, it means God is long-nosed. So you think of that. God comes to Moses at this epic moment, and he reveals himself, and he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious who has a long nose. And you go, what is that? Is it because God looks like Pinocchio or has a side profile like mine? I've always been told I have a long nose. Why why do you have that? One commentator said, when you think of someone getting very angry, their nostrils do what? Flare, right? Or you think of a cartoon of those bulls that are raging, and the raging bull always has flaring nostrils. Well, God's nostrils take a long time to flare. He's long-nosed. He's slow to anger. What stirs up wrath in your heart in a second, he is patient. And you think of one year of your life. How much sin has he been patient with? And iniquity has he been patient with? And transgression has he been slow to anger with? God, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, long-nosed. And he forgives transgression and iniquity and sin. In fact, the verse uses all three categories in the original language. Transgressions, iniquity, and sin. So as to say, there's no category of sin. And no degree of sin that is outside the bounds of God's love and his grace and his mercy and his long nose. Every category and degree of sin his love meets and his mercy meets and his slowness to anger meets. God reveals himself to Moses and he says, you know why I'm giving you a new covenant all over again? It's because I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving transgression, iniquity, and sin. But listen, it's not just that he says that. He proves it. He shows it. Because watch what happens next. Look down in your Bible at chapter 35. In chapter 35, Moses now goes down off the mountain, and he's got two fresh tablets of stone in his hand. And you picture the people of Israel sitting in their tents thinking, How does he have these stone tablets? I thought he cracked them. I thought they were broken. We saw the pile of rubble of this broken relationship, and now he's got them whole. How are they whole again? Well, it's a picture. Just like they had ruined everything, now everything is being made whole. Everything's being restored. Moses goes down off the mountain with these two tablets, and 35 begins, look in your Bible, with this talk about Sabbath. Why Sabbath there? Well, the last time we had talked about Sabbath was back in chapter 31, before the whole golden calf thing, before the whole thing was messed up and ruined. And it's as if God sends Moses back, and it's as if the scripture says, let me pick up right where we left off. As if God was saying, I don't want to miss a beat. Before that whole thing, what were we talking about again? That's right, the Sabbath. I love you. I want you to rest. 
Do you see how beautifully that's placed? As if God wants to communicate to his people, I don't want to skip a beat. What, what were we talking about again? The Sabbath. I love you. I want you to rest. Here's the Sabbath for you. And from 35 onwards, what you find is all these instructions again about the tabernacle. Because all of a sudden, it's all back on. Last week we had said, no altars to build, no basins to construct, no curtains to sew, no clothes to stitch, because it's all done. And now from 35, look in your Bible, 35, they start collecting contributions for the tabernacle. Flip over. 36, they start building the tabernacle. 37, they make the ark, they make the table, they make the lampstand, they make the altar of incense. 38, they make the altar of burnt offering, the bronze basin, they make the court, they gather the materials for the tabernacle. 39, they build and make the, the clothes for the priests. Listen, when you read 35 to 39, it's, it's like a mirror of what we've read before. All the same details. The only difference is the verbs change. So rather than here's what I want you to do, the verbs change to here's what they did. Here's what I want you to make. Here's what they made. All 35 to 39 is, is a repetition of everything you've heard before, except now, rather than do this, it's and they did it. And they built it, and they constructed it, and they sewed this, and they cut that, and, and you find all these verbs of action. Now listen, when you read 35 to 39, you're going to be tempted to tune out boring details. Don't. What you should be thinking is, God's actually coming. When they're building the ark, you should be thinking, can you believe it? God's actually going to come. We have reason to build the ark. When they're building the basin, you should be thinking, can you believe it? God's actually going to let us wash our sins away. He's going to come. When they're building the curtains and the tabernacle, you should be thinking, can you believe it? God's going to come and the people are going to be able to approach him. It's not just going to be a, a single tent for Moses out there, but a huge tent for all people. You, you think of 39 as they're stitching clothes for Aaron. What would that be like for Aaron to get measured out for the high priest's clothing? Three chapters ago, he was leading the people in rebellion against God. He was the one who made the idol. And now he's being fitted for the priests of the high, the, the clothes of the high priest. As you read 35 and 36 and 37 and 38 and 39, you should be thinking, can you believe it? He's actually coming. All of this is back on. The tablets are whole again. They're not rubble. And this project is back on. We have reason to build because God is coming. Why would he do all that? Because he is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving transgression and iniquity and sin. And so now he's renewed the covenant. He's let them build the tabernacle. And the story doesn't end there. There's one more scene you need to see. Look at 39, verse 32. 39, verse 32, it says, Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. The people build everything just as God had commanded Everything is back on, and they bring everything to Moses, and he inspects it. Look at verse 43 of chapter 39. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded, so they did it, and then Moses blessed them. I mean, what a scene. Just a few weeks ago, they were cursed. They were cut off. They were done. God was not coming, and now 
Exodus 40 ends with this beautiful scene of the people, these sinful people who had made a mess, doing everything the Lord had said, and Moses stretching out his hands and blessing them. This cursed people, this broken, messy people who fail to obey God's commands, like you and me, are now reached over by Moses' hands and blessed because everything God had commanded, they did. In, verse 40, in chapter 40, verse 33, it says, And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work, and they constructed all. God renews this covenant. He puts the building project back on. They build it all. He blesses them. And there's one last scene in Exodus you have to see. You've labored in this with me for 10 months, so here's what I want to do. I want us to read this together. All right? So if you have a Bible, I want you to look at chapter 40. I'll give you a second to turn there. And we're going to read 34 and 35 together. Chapter 40, verse 34 and 35 Read with me how this book ends. Then the Lord covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Listen, from there on, it goes throughout all their journeys. The cloud of God's presence went wherever they went, like a cloud by day and a fire by night, and wherever the people went, God went with them. Here's how Exodus ends. He came. Forty chapters, ten months, he came. That was what this whole book was pointing to from the moment it began. In March, we began with these people enslaved, in slavery, in chains, in Egypt. And the point of this whole thing was to set them free so that they might be where God is, so that God could come and dwell among them. God came just like he said he would. Through all their sin, he came. He set them free. They respond to his freedom by grumbling at the Red Sea. He, he saves them at the Red Sea. They respond to him saving them at the Red Sea by grumbling for bread. He gives them bread. They respond by quarreling for water. He gives them water. They, they respond by fearing in the presence of enemies. He saves them from their enemies. They respond to him by making a golden calf. And even after all of that... He came. He came for them. Here, listen, this is the last thing I want to say. This is the moment this whole book has been about. Because when we started this book, these people were slaves, and they had no hope, and it was darkness, and the picture was black and pitch dark, and they had not a shot in the world. All they had was despair and death, and they had an enemy that they could not defeat. And yet God heard their suffering and knew them, and so he knew they needed a Savior and sent them what? A baby. A special baby was born to deliver this people. A child was given to them. And this child grows up, and when he becomes a man, does battle against God's enemy. And by God's power, stretches out his hand and sets this people free. And then even when they sin against God, this deliverer intercedes for them and even offers his life to save and spare theirs. And because of the work of this deliverer, the story ends with God dwelling with his people. You know what's beautiful about all that? That's the story of Exodus, but that's the story of this whole book. 
It's not just the story of Exodus. That's the story of the whole book. This book begins with us trapped in our death and in our sin, slaves to an enemy we could not beat or defeat. And yet God knew our suffering and heard our cries and so sent for us who? A child, a baby, except his name is not Moses, his name is Jesus. And Jesus is born, this child, and he grows up to be God's deliverer and he defeats God's enemy with his arms outstretched for his people. And even when God's people sin, this deliverer intercedes for them, stands in the gap for them, and offers his life for theirs. So that through the work of this great deliverer who is Jesus, the people of God now dwell with God, and God dwells with his people. He has come. That's what Exodus is all about. Exodus 34 to the end is about a God who came. He has come in Jesus And he will come again. I have good news for you this Christmas morning. God has come. And he came for you. He is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving transgression, iniquity, and in sin. When you see Jesus on the cross, that's who you're seeing. The Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy and grace and slowness to anger and forgiving every category of sin. Wherever you are in this season, he's come for you. Maybe you've made a mess of this past year. Maybe you've made a mess of your life. You're sitting in a mess. God came for you. Maybe you're in the midst of a hard marriage, a difficult home, an impossible situation, and you need a deliverer. God came for you. Maybe you're steeped in sin. Lost in your way, God came for you. Maybe you need a new start. I have very good news for you. He came for you. And the God who came for you will come again. Because he is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he forgives transgression, iniquity, and sin. Let's pray.